Hello, 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 podcast listeners. Pete Forsey, the host of the podcast. Welcome aboard for all you new listeners. Welcome back to my loyal, loyal listeners. Quickly, if you haven't already, subscribe and review. Share it with your friends and help them find the podcast if you're already subscribing or following. I know Apple's kind of switched it up. Uh, You can find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. I need you to really spread the word with your friends, your family, anyone that listens to podcasts. Let them know what we're doing here. We're talking all things ball, and we got a lot of takes even during the summer months when it's typically a little bit more of a down period as far as NFL. Baseball is now in full swing, and we got the games going on, and we love talking Major League Baseball, and we got plenty of it on this episode. We'll be talking about Aaron Judge, who's on a really big hot streak and he has bet on himself this season and so far it's paying off through uh the first six weeks of the season we'll touch on him in addition you had the mad bum ejection i got some thoughts on the umpire there in addition to the nfl side of things there is stupid money in the broadcast booth as far as nfl tom brady he's going to be doing that i was shocked by that we'll dive right into him along with ryan Tannehill and what he said after malik willis was drafted along with the raiders let's get to it lots to talk about it's episode 84 of the podcast so the news of tom brady signing with fox to do broadcasting that came out uh on tuesday here this week that would have been may 10th I was taken aback by it. I did not think that was a move that that he would be wanting to get into immediately post-career. He he really has taken to the new side of things with podcasting. He had his Tom vs. Time thing on Facebook. He went on LeBron's show with The Shop. He really likes that laid-back atmosphere because for years it was just New England, company line, be hushed, don't give him anything at the podium, just talk about winning. And he still does that with Tampa Bay in season. He picks and chooses the spots when to to be transparent. In the broadcast booth, that is something that you really do have to be mechanically and just fine-tuned with how broadcasting works. I know it's kind of strayed from that a little bit in, in the more traditional sense, but th- there's a lot of work involved in broadcasting. I don't think people realize the travel that you have to do. You end up, when you do a Sunday game, you end up in that uh, hometown, wherever it is, Green Bay, Minnesota, uh, Tampa Bay. You're there on like Wednesday and you go to practice on Wednesday and Thursday. And then you have uh, conference calls or even meetings face to face on Friday. And then you go to dinners on Saturday evening with your broadcast team to help build chemistry. So then when you're on air, it, it's fluid. In addition, prior to getting there, Monday and Tuesday during the week, you're going over your boards. They, You know how they know every single player, every jersey number, their background and everything? That's all visualized on a board where they got the guy's name, his position, height and weight, where he went to college, where he was drafted. That's all things that they have to put together and then study. Broadcasting is a lot of fucking work. I didn't think Tom Brady would want to dive right into that and sign up for that. Before he's even done playing football. But then the number came out. $375 million to Tom Brady, who has never been in a broadcast booth. You know, Greg Olson, he did that before he retired. I think they tried to get Richard Sherman Monday Night Football, and they're currently recruiting him 
at Amazon right now. They tried to get him a couple of years ago before Sherman was done playing. It looks like he is now. But Tom Brady hasn't even done that currently where some guys do that while they are still uh, in the middle of their careers or at the end of their careers, like Greg Olson. He's never done it before. And he got $375 million. That's 37 and a half per year to do 16 football games a year, once a week. Again, I just got into the work that it is. It, it, it obviously entails much more. But overall, you're, you're just talking on Sundays and, and you're going to the yard and you don't have to practice and lift weights like he is now. That's an insane number. That Fox is throwing around. There are whiffs all the time in the broadcast booth. Joe Montana, Tom Brady's idol, was awful. I remember uh, uh, a little short guy, quarterback, Maryland. Flutie, D- Doug Flutie. He was awful. Dan Marino tried it for a little bit. Couldn't get him out of there fast enough. Jay Cutler, I know, was signed up at one minute. Then he went to the Dolphins. I thought he would have been a wash. There, there's guys all the time that go into the booth and they're not any good. And Fox just signed up guaranteed 10 years. Tom Brady. And I get it. The greatest ever played the position. You, you want to have that guy on board. And maybe, I, I don't know where all this money goes. So maybe it is just for the talent. That's how they uh, you know, strike all these deals is to get a face on TV that people recognize. But just because he's Tom Brady, he, he might be awful at calling a game. He might be saying the dumbest things you could possibly hear. He'll know the X's and O's behind it, but will he be able to articulate it to the audience? And the other thing with all this is when you watch a football game, you don't tune into a game based off who is broadcasting it. I, I don't watch Monday Night Football because it's uh, Troy Aikman and Joe Buck. I watch it because, one, it's the standalone game, and then if we're watching on Sundays, you watch the team that you want to see or the player that you want to see. It doesn't matter if it's Joe Davis or Joe Schmo calling it or Joe Buck. You're just going to watch it. It obviously elevates the broadcast, but to throw around $37.5 million, that is just a huge, huge swing from Fox. And yeah, they, they could whiff big time. They, they could spin around three times and fall on home plate. and. You know, Tom Brady's always been a, a very intelligent and thoughtful individual, but he, he's never even set foot in a broadcast booth, ever. At least with Greg Olson, he got some reps beforehand. Jason Witten was the same case. He had never done it. Obviously, he went back to the Cowboys. He got a lifeline from Jerry Jones. Tony Romo has been the exception to this rule. He was a star out of the gate. And really... I think some people have kind of softened on Romo. He's kind of gotten a little bit lazy. I kind of find him a little bit annoying with just his incessant jokes all the time. I don't know if you know CBS is necessarily going to be eager to pay him top dollar uh, next go around on contracts. I think this is a huge gamble, huge gamble, but it speaks to just how much money is in the NFL. Fox struck this deal with the NFL. And they got a lot of money invested to them. So they are getting the best of the best as far as entertainment. And they're willing to pay top dollar. That's how powerful the NFL is. It's hilarious hearing the the, the narrative that the NFL is dying. 
uh, that pigs get slaughtered. I remember what Mark Cuban said. It is comical. There is nothing but cash just being cranked out by the NFL. And this Fox deal is just the latest news to prove that. So Thursday, May 12th, we will get the full NFL schedule release, but they did release the international games. And when I first heard about these, you got Green Bay going overseas, you got Tampa Bay with Tom Brady going to Germany, Packers going to London, Mexico, you got the Niners and the Cardinals, West Coast teams, um, where obviously obviously Mexico fans are, are fans of the Niners and the Raiders and all those teams on the West Coast. So it just fits perfectly. And Roger Goodell, for all the crap that he's taken for the poor, uh, poor decisions on the suspensions with Ray Rice, Zeke Elliott, Tom Brady and Deflategate, the guy has been wildly successful. And he's hated publicly by just about everyone, though I argue that really doesn't make a difference and maybe it even actually shows you why he's successful he is all about the bottom line and the nfl realized probably like 10 years ago that vertically here in the united states they kind of hit their ceiling with you know maximizing revenue like they they pay the bills or they uh sign the contracts and the demands are met for TV contracts and stadiums. They're going to max out at like 80000 per per team. So how else are we going to make money here? And then they went laterally. They went to London. Then they went to Mexico. Now they're going to Germany. And Roger Goodell is just pumping in cash. And the owners love him for it. So they can live with the decisions of, oh, you gave this guy four games instead of ten. Or you took away my star quarterback for four games in 2016, but we're still boys and I'll be mad at you for two years. This is Robert Kraft with Tom Brady. But now everything is all good because you're putting more and more money back into my pocket. Roger Goodell is a damn good commissioner. You look at Rob Manfred, Roger Goodell, they are the two most hated commissioners in sports. They are one in two in successful pro franchises in, in Northern American sports. Look at the NBA. Adam Silver, the guy just caves into public pressure. I saw what he did with the suspension here in the playoffs. And obviously he listens to LeBron James and just the star players. And that's why the ratings regionally and overall, yeah, they're they're going no they're nose diving. They're they're bad. And then NHL obviously just they, they can't even sniff cash wise uh what the other three are doing. So you, you look at the top two, they're hated commissioners, but they're also making a lot of fucking money. One thing that does not stop is the Raiders organization, whether it's the 70s with Pete Rozelle, the 80s and going to Los Angeles, leaving Los Angeles, and then the 90s uh, with the the suing, I think that was with with Al Davis, and then of course his death and when they were just a horrible product on the football field, and now with John Gruden, and now their president just a matter of days ago. Uh, saying that there was allegations of hostile workplace. One thing with the Raiders is that it's never quiet. And they kind of have this really weird thing going on where, you know, it's a very desirable job on the football side of things, like Josh McDaniels from the Patriots and also Dave Ziegler from the Patriots. They're pretty set up well for success, both with the roster that they're inheriting, but also with Mark Davis. That guy just hands you the keys and walks away. 
he doesn't want to have to do with anything on the football side of things. He gets his head coach, signs him up to a long-term deal, and then stays the hell out of the way. That's, that's a dream scenario if you're on the football side of things. But then on the business side of things, he's the poorest owner. He doesn't invest in the team. And I guess if he's around the team, there's a hostile workplace. And then the president, the guy who has everything to lose, brings it to the owner's attention, and he gets fired. And the owner, Mark Davis, puts out a two-sentence statement on Twitter, and that's how the public finds out about the the president resigning. Which, you know, the, the president, from my time in working in the NFL with the Kansas City Chiefs, again, low totem pole business side of things salesman i did get to see however the president and what that individual does and what they really are doing is connecting the football side and the business side together so they have a very key role in the organization and they are paid a fuck ton of money now from you know my time with the chiefs the guy who was there um with kansas city very regular guy very approachable um, but also very savvy and knows how to do business. So for the president to approach the owner and say, hey, you got problems with your culture here. You got women. And he said this in a statement as well, the president in a text message that was also tweeted out by a Las Vegas Raiders uh, beat reporter. He said it was targeted uh, at female or mostly those were the, uh, the victims uh, of this abuse. So just another thing after your coach and John Gruden had to resign after all the things that he said in emails, and uh, I don't think there were text messages, it was just emails, but now you got that being fostered in the Las Vegas uh, facility for the Raiders. It's, <laughs> it is never a dull moment, uh, but it is a weird, weird situation where you got a quarterback who is going to stand in front of the podium, say he's proud to be a Raider wants to be a Raider for life, wants to die a Raider, will get extended, will put up solid play to make you believe you get taken to a Super Bowl. And then you also got um, some solid players that can you know make a playoff roster. But then you also have all this nonsense uh, uh, up in the offices that have nothing to do with football that create all this chaos publicly. So the Raiders, it is only more of the same as we head into the 2022 season. Obviously, I saw the comments from Ryan Tannehill that he believes he doesn't necessarily have the responsibility of mentoring Malik Willis. And my first thought was, yeah, I agree. It's not your job. I know the media kind of blew it out of proportion. Kurt Warner got on Twitter. Ryan Clark of ESPN got on Twitter and was all up in arms about it. And really, I believe Tannehill needs to fall in line and just say what he has to say, even if he doesn't meet it in that situation. He effed up in this situation. He should have said it. He is, though, correct. It's the coach's job to mentor Malik Willis. Ryan Tannehill is supposed to get ready to prepare as the starter. He's getting paid as the starter. In the end, when it comes to training camp, he's got to prove he's the best option for this team. That's what Aaron Rodgers did with Jordan Love. That's what uh, Jimmy Garoppolo did with Trey Lance, and that's what Tom Brady did with Jimmy Garoppolo when he was in New England. Now, the difference is, is they said that they would do whatever they can, or at least dodge the question of if it was their job to mentor uh, their uh, heir apparent, or the person that appeared to be lined up to be the heir apparent. So, Tannehill, 
I don't know why he would go this route. He's just opened himself up to criticism. He already admitted he went to therapy to get over the three interception game against Cincinnati. Number one seed Titans. I could not believe they let that one slip by. I, I really thought that would have been the year this past winter when Tennessee at least made a run and, and won a couple of games, but he's just mounted and compounded the pressure that was already on him. They've drafted a guy in the third round. I don't necessarily think he's uh, on the hot seat because Malik Willis was drafted. But Tannehill, you got a bloated cap number. You're not necessarily worth it. You're scheme dependent upon your performance and at your peak performance and getting there. And now you've already admitted you went to therapy. You had anxiety over it. And now you said this. Not a great look. You've just made the pressure enormous on yourself. It was nothing to do with really outside factors. It all had to do with your play and what you're willing to share with the media. And, you know, while you're right, this is a situation where you have to just go the company line and lie and, and, you know, just tell a little white lie and say, yeah, I'll do everything I can, even if you don't plan on doing it. Ryan Tannehill was silly with these comments, and this is why you just need to be much better at the podium and not speaking your mind. Three run Jack walk off home run. New York Yankees along with the Mets are just, they're leading baseball right now. No place better to be for pro baseball than the city of New York. The Aaron judge situation with the contract, he has put it in a place with the Yankees being 22 and eight. They just won here on this Wednesday afternoon. And again, three run home run walk off by judge yesterday, first career walk off. His price is just skyrocketing. Uh, I said it a week ago, maybe 10 days ago. It, it was getting high. Then it's even higher now. And Cashman has to be thinking, man, we really, we really dropped the ball in this one. But it's all the credit to Aaron Judge. He bet on himself. He's a guy who's a towering, long-limbed, six-foot-eight player. You just don't know how that's going to age about MVP awards. But he's playing phenomenal. And, you know, with the Yankees, they're going to be pressed into a situation where they have to worry about paying a guy who's going to be on the wrong side of 30. And they already signed up with that with Stanton along with Garrett Cole, who they're playing great too, but how many of those contracts do you want on the books? They have succeeded since Aaron Judge came up in 2016 based off having cheap young talent. I know they're the Yankees and everybody thinks they just buy everything. They do buy some, but this isn't the Steinbrenner Yankees. These guys have been great at having cheap young talent performing at a high level. Judge was one of those at one point. Gary Sanchez was one of those. Glaber Torres, when he had his career year in 2019, was one of those. So they got to be careful. Like, do do you sign up for Judge a next go around? I think you almost have to. Weighted runs created is 191. He's got a walk rate of 9% and a K rate of 28.5. So those are a little worrisome, along with the fact that he's going to be 31 years old. But it, it's just. It's one of those rare situations, and I think it's great to see where a player does bet on himself, kind of like Darrell Rivas did in the NFL, and it's actually paying off. Rarely does it. Usually you see the situation like Le'Veon Bell or or Tommy Pham, a guy who declined a contract extension from the Cardinals after his best year ever in 2017. They fall in their face. Aaron Judge, so far so good. It's going to be a very interesting offseason 
come October. So the Mad Bum, Madison Bumgarner ejection, it was on May the 4th, so that would have been Wednesday, was absolutely an embarrassment for the Umpires Association. I'm obviously pro-official here. I don't think enough of the media really gives them enough credit. One, two, leeway, and fans obviously are going to be fans. They're going to be mad at officials because it's it's an easy out. And again, I again I never put anything against the fans. Everything with me is always just the media not being fair because they try too far or too much to relate to the fan side of things. But, you know, it is who is consuming the product. Um, so, so I also get that end of things as well. But with the umpire in Arizona, with Madison Bumgarner, that, that was way, way over the line in trying to protect a major or a minor league umpire. So the guy behind the dish that Madison Bumgarner had a gripe with, with the strike zone that led to all this, he was doing his first game. And so he jumped in to protect him, the, the crew chief. But then he's just eyeballing him down and... It's getting weird because he's like rubbing his hand and he's provoking him. I heard that he got fined, but this is a guy that needs to be suspended. You can't fucking do that. And in an era when relationships between the players, the commissioner's office, Major League Baseball as a whole, and now they have all these gripes with the strike zone and what's going on and all the video that you can replay and what is in the zone and what is not in the zone. Players are just getting more and more angry at people around them in the game. The umpires are really taking the brunt of it right now that the season has started. I know Aaron Judge had some bad officiating on on him in Toronto, and then Aaron Boone got ejected. And overall, just the baseballs from the commissioner side of things, it, it's just it's it's getting kind of bad here for the players. They're mad at the zone. They're mad at the baseballs. They're mad at Rob Manfred from the off season. It's just like, holy shit, got to get it the fuck together because soon the players are just, they're they're not going to believe in you with anything. And, you know, they step in the right direction. The guy apologized, but I heard he was just fine. No, you need to suspend this guy for a series. You can't fucking do that. You cannot provoke a player. And that's what happened. And I I just, when I saw this, I thought Rob Manfred in the off season, the baseball's in season. The strike zone overall, and now we got front and center uh, and umpires stepping out of line. And it, overall, this is where you really, really need to take aggressive steps in trying to get on the player's good side. Appreciate everybody listening. Again, help your friends find the show. Let them know they can follow. We will drop right into your inbox and notify you of a new episode every time we put a new one out. We're coming out once a week, talking everything NFL, Major League Baseball. And you can also email us at thepodcast at gmail.com. And you can have a question answered right here on the show. Also, you can call or text the hotline. It's 816-226-7483. Again, 816-226-7483. And you can have that played or read aloud here on the show. Thanks so much. We will see everyone next week.